Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. There was a little girl that got to go to her very first wedding. And uh, she's very excited about all this. You know, she's heard about weddings and she's dreamed about weddings. You see it on TV and in the movies. And so she's getting ready to go to her very first wedding. And uh, she's sitting there and she's taking it all in. And then she, in the middle of this thing, she leans over to her mom and she goes, Mom, she notices. She goes, Mom, the bride is the only one wearing white. Why is she wearing white? Mom leans over and says, Oh, it's because white is the color of joy and happiness. And this is the happiest day of her life. She goes, oh, okay. She's sitting there and she's quiet for a minute. And then she leans over to her mom and says, Dad, or Mom, why is, why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> <laughs> if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead. If you've got it on your phone, if you've got your leather-bound Bible or, or you know, whatever you got, go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're going to look at that here in just a second, in just a little while. But 2020 is the year of strong families at Siege Church. Can I get an amen? amen. Strong families at your address, where you live, the blood that runs through your veins and through your veins to your kids' veins. If you're married, if you're not married, strong families, if you've got kids or whether you got, don't have kids, it doesn't matter because you're part of this family, strong church family, and we're building both of these intentionally, strengthening our blood families and our church families this year. So here's our working definition of what, when we mean strong family, this is what we're, our working definition of strong family. It's a group of people that may or may not be related to one another by blood or marriage, but are committed to each other, love each other, and take care of each other, having the power to succeed through demanding circumstances, withstanding great pressure, staying firmly established without being disturbed, upset, or affected. Now, last uh, a couple weeks ago, when we started this series, um, we're, in the, we're talking about the process of building a strong family. It doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just happen because you want it to happen. It happens because you're going to be intentional and you've got to do things and you've got to respond to the Holy Spirit. You've got to submit your will to him and you've got to submit yourself to the word of God. Amen. But why is it that you need a solid foundation when you're building a strong family? And that's what we talked about a, a couple weeks ago. Why do you need a strong foundation when you're building anything? Because the earth is going to quake, the floodwaters are going to rise, and the winds are going to blow. But if you have a firm foundation, if you have a strong foundation, and then the rest of the structure of your strong family sits on that and is attached to that, then the earth can quake, and the floodwaters can rise, and the wind can blow, but you won't be toppled over. You won't float away. You won't blow over. Amen? And that's why we need strong families. That's why we need a firm foundation. And we said a couple weeks ago that our, our strong foundation for building a strong family is our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ is our, our foundation. We, we said Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We see that through scripture. We are living stones. We are aligned with him. And so our identity is not 
coming from our socioeconomic status. It doesn't come from our race. It doesn't from, come from our culture. It doesn't come from our education. It doesn't come from how good of a grades you might get in school. It, it doesn't come from how well you perform or how much money you earn. It comes only from your identity in Jesus Christ. So today, as we talk about another building block of strong families, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now and we thank you that you have a vision for us. You have a vision for each of our individual families to be strong in you. You have a vision for this church to be strong in you. And Lord, I thank you that you're going to work through our families. You're going to work through this church family and you're going to do something amazing in this city because we have decided to commit and say yes to being a strong family, God. So Lord, as we... Uh, hear what your word says to us today. I pray that our hearts would be open to receive it and that we would be open to transformation, that we would not just be open to it, but we would take steps towards it. We would take steps towards saying yes to you, Holy Spirit, that we would become who you've called us to be so that we can do what you've called us to do. And the people of God said, amen. amen. Now, listen, we're gonna, I want to start off with a series of questions here. And I don't need you to answer out loud. You can just answer quietly to yourself right now. And this, these, these uh, questions here are going to kind of go through the whole range of, you know, um, folks that we have here, the whole demographic. And so, you know, Ben here, you're in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, right? And then Scott, the dad, you know, you're in your mid-40s. And then we've got, you know, grandparents here. And so we've got the whole range of, of demographics presented here. And so some of these questions might hit you in a different spot. So if you're in middle school or high school, perk up, pay attention and listen. And if, you know, you're, you know, 80 something, perk up and pay attention too. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to process the answers to these questions through the thoughts, the feelings, the words, that you spoke, the actions that you've, you've made in the last couple of weeks. Don't answer to yourself just the road church answer. You know, it's like you're in Sunday school, the little kids in Sunday school, and the teacher's asking the question, and the, every answer to the question is Jesus. You know, Jesus, Jesus. You know, who wants to go to the bathroom? Jesus. You know, that's the road church answer. So that's what I don't want you to do here. I want you to be honest with yourself. Be real with yourself as you answer these questions. First one is this, is it okay to tell a white lie if you're trying to avoid what you think is unnecessary pain, whether that be in your life or someone else's life? If it makes you feel good, if you feel okay about it, and it doesn't hurt or affect anybody else, then why is it wrong? Here's one more even specific. Shouldn't you be able to keep the extra money if it was the cashier's fault that made it? She was the one that made the mistake. I mean, if we're going to get married anyway, then what's the point of waiting? What's the point of waiting if we're going to get married anyway? Isn't it okay? Should you be able to date someone? Should you be able to partner with someone? Should you be able to be best friends with someone 
who doesn't really hold the faith, who doesn't really believe the exact same way that you believe, but you're looking to change them. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back through those questions and we'll give you some answers. Is it okay to tell a white lie if you're trying to avoid some kind of unnecessary pain? Here's an answer right here from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 25. It says, souls are saved by truthful witness and betrayed by the spread of lies. Souls are saved by truthful witness and betrayed by the spread of lies. Hmm. Here's another question. If it makes you feel good or if you're okay with it and it doesn't hurt anybody else, then why is it wrong? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Shouldn't you be able to keep the extra money if the cashier is the one that made the mistake? Well... Exodus 20, 15, Leviticus 19, 11, Deuteronomy 5, 9, all tell us, you must not steal. Isn't it okay if we're going to get married anyway? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says, love is patient. Shouldn't be able to date somebody, shouldn't you be able to be in partnership or best friends with somebody that doesn't really hold the faith, that doesn't believe like you believe, but you're looking to change them. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 says, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Now, I'm going to ask you this. Do you see the common thread in all of the answers that I just gave you? There's a common thread in all of the answers that I just gave you. I didn't read them out of, you know, a magazine somewhere. They all came from one place. They're, they're all based in the scripture. All of these answers to all of these questions are found in God's word. And I'm telling you, if we're going to build strong families this year, whether it be our blood family or whether it be this church family, then we've got to have the building block of a biblical world view. Strong families have a biblical world view. If you're taking notes, write that down. Go ahead and make sure that you just decide that right now in your heart, in your life, for your own soul, for your family, for this church family, that I'm going to have a biblical worldview. I'm going to do everything that I can to... Uh, Raise my children with a biblical worldview. What does it mean to have a biblical worldview? It means that everything that you do in life, all your thoughts, all your feelings, all your actions, all of your words, all the words of others that are spoken, all their actions, you filter them through the lens of the scripture. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. If we want strong families, then what we need to do is hold the word of God in the highest regard. We need to honor it. We need to love it. We need to ingest it and digest it. We want it to become part of our DNA. 
We want to memorize it. We want to let it shape everything that we think. Let it shape everything that we feel. Let it shape everything that comes out of our mouth. Let it shape everything that we do in our lives. The Word of God. Now, I want to say this. We have a distinct advantage over every other generation that's lived before us. You know, they used to, way, 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 way back in the day, the Word of God was recorded on scrolls. And there's only one place that you could go and find that, and that was at the temple. And then the priest would read God's Word to you, and then you would hear it all the time. And, and then, you know, every Jewish little boy by the age of five was to memorize the entire Talmud, the first five books of the Bible, basically, by their, by their fifth birthday. They're supposed to have this, this biblical worldview by five years old. And then, you know, we go for a long time, and there's a lot of dark stuff happening in church history and in the history of the world. And then 1432 rolls around, and Gutenberg invents the printing press. What's the first thing that he does? Prints the Bible. And then from there on, every human being on earth can get access to God's word. And now we carry it around in our pockets everywhere we go. It doesn't have to be bound in leather. Praise God for that. I thank God for this is what has, has Christians have been having for hundreds of years now. But now we have it in this format. And I'm not elevating one over the other. I'm just saying it's with us. We have this distinct advantage over every generation that's lived before us, but we're not taking full advantage of it. We're taking it for granted. And it's time that we get back to honoring the Word of God, to loving the Word of God, to making it part of our DNA that everything that we think and feel and say and do is filtered through a biblical worldview. I realize that for some of us, we grew up like this. I grew up like this. I grew up in a great Christian home that was centered on the Word of God. Some of us grew up in Christian homes, but weren't the, God's Word wasn't really uh, part of the DNA of the home. Maybe you heard it in church, but you, know, but you did know, you did have this respect for the Word of God. But not every, everyone grew up that way. Everyone had that. And, and, and so there's others of us that have this question. There's maybe those of us in this room and definitely those out in, in the world we live in that say, well, how can I even know that God's word is true? That's fine that you say that I need a biblical worldview. That's great for you because you believe that God's word is true. But how do I know it's true? You're just saying that because that's just what you've been told all of your life. Well, hang on. Hang on. Listen, I just want to say this. That's not a shameful question. It's not a shameful question to ask, how can I know God's word is true? As a matter of fact, it's a great question because I think God wants you to know the answer to that question. It doesn't mean that you're a skeptic. It doesn't mean that you're an atheist. It doesn't mean that you're going to hell. It doesn't mean that you're not born again because you've had that question. It just means that you are in search of what's true. And you know what? If you're in search of what's true, God wants to honor that. God's not afraid. He's not offended by your questions. He's welcoming your questions. And I see it perfectly normal to bring our questions to God, especially when we come to him with a heart of humility and faith and wanting to, to know what is true. 
really searching for what is true? Listen, we need the presence of God in our hearts, but we also need the presence of God in our heads. For too long, we have disengaged, not just we here, but the, the church at large has disengaged our heads in the process of becoming like Christ. And we say, well, it's just some, it's something that happens in your heart and you feel it in this. Well, how do you know you're born again? Because I feel born again. Well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. It's not been good enough for family members of mine who grew up in church their entire life, but then went to secular university and were challenged with questions that they didn't know how to answer. And now they have turned their back on the faith and are going, well, I don't know what it is that I believe. It is not, listen, the presence of God in our heart is needed, but we need the presence of God in our head. Amen. We need to know why it is that we believe what it is that we believe. God's word is true. Why? Why do we need to know this? Because our modern day culture is trying to brainwash us into thinking that truth is not just not what's printed here, but truth is relative. It's relative to whatever it is that you think is true. Moral relativism is another worldview that says that truth is whatever it is that you feel is truth. Truth is whatever it is that you is good for you. That's great. You know, that moral truth is good for you, but it's not, that's not the same moral truth for me. That's moral relativism. But here's the deal. Even the people that have this worldview, at the end of the day, they're still left wondering what's really right, what's really wrong. At the end of the day, they don't really know because they can say, well, I feel that the truth is this. Well, that's what you feel like today. But then tomorrow you might feel something completely different because our feelings don't always tell us the truth. Our feelings are wonderful when they align with the truth, but they don't always aren't always indicators of the truth. And so at the end of the day, even with this moral relativism worldview, you still go, what's really right? What's really wrong? Because we all have those questions inborn on the inside of every human being. Relativism says there's no right or wrong. There's no absolute truth. But I'm telling you, that way of living is bankrupt. It's going to get you in the red. Moral relativism will do for you what putting water in your gas tank will do for you. It will get you stranded in a hurry. If you want to know what's really right, if you want to know what's really wrong, if you want to build a strong family, if this church wants to be a strong church family, then there are three absolutes that you have to have solidified in your heart and in your head. Absolute truth, number one. The Bible is the true and inspired word of God. Number two, God exists and exactly as the Bible describes him to be. Number three, Jesus is the only way to God. Can we just all say those? Repeat, repeat these after me. The Bible is the true and inspired word of God. God exists and is exactly as the Bible describes him to be. Jesus is the only way to God. Some of you are going, well, you still say that, but how do I know? Here's the deal. 
we can find proof that the first absolute truth is actually true, if we can prove that it is true, then what do we find then? Then the other two things are absolutely true. Because what do you find in the Bible? Well, that God exists, and he is exactly as the Bible describes him to be. And then number three, Jesus is the only way to God. So if we can prove this first absolute truth, then these other two things, it's like dominoes. They just fall right in line. Okay? So the question is, how do we know absolutely that the Bible is the true and inspired word of God? Listen, there's a handful of ways that we could go here at this point. We could get in and start talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. We could talk about uh, just the, 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 the validity and the, the fidelity of the scriptures throughout the years. But I want to just focus on one thing today that unlocks this as an absolute truth. And that's prophecy. Prophecy. In the scriptures, there are 332 specific Prophecies about the Messiah. There's 332 prophecies specifically about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And these prophecies include things that talk about the place of his birth, the time of his birth, the manner of his birth. They, they talk about him being betrayed by a trusted friend. They talk about the, the manner of his death and his suffering and his burial and hundreds more let me tell you this, every single one of those 332 prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And all of these very specific predictions were made hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the scene. It wasn't like some guy was, you know, watching the life of Jesus and then go, you know what, I think I'm going to do something clever and just maybe roll the dice and say that he's the Messiah. We'll write that down and we'll get that published and we'll be around in the Bible for hundreds and thousands and thousands of years. Now, we're talking about before Jesus showed up on the scene, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the scene. These 332 prophecies were made distinctly about the Messiah and all 332 of them were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What's the probability of that? What's the probability of hundreds of years before Jesus was even born that godly men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down these prophecies about the Messiah? What are the odds that even just a handful of these could have been coincidental? Because that's where some people's minds go. They're still, you're still kind of skeptical. Well, it's coincidence. 332 times coincidence? Back in 1958, there was a scientist named Peter Stoner. And Peter did this study and he ran the numbers and the figures on what the coincidence would be that just eight of these prophecies could be fulfilled in one person, much less the person who actually said he was the Messiah. And so uh, he, he's looking at the probability of these and he adds up the probability of all eight of these prophecies, just eight of the 332 being coincidentally fulfilled in the life of Jesus, much less the one who said he was the Messiah. His mathematical conclusion that the chance of all eight of these being fulfilled in one man coincidentally was one to 10 in the 17th power. That it's a coincidence. 
you know, that's a one with 17 zeros behind it. You might know what that number is. 100 quadrillion. You have one in 100 quadrillion chance that eight of the 332 prophecies could be coincidentally fulfilled in one man, much less the man calling himself the Messiah. Even the lottery gives you better chances than that, y'all. I think it's like you have a chance, one in 18 million chance of winning the lottery or something like that. You have a better chance of winning the lottery, lottery every time you play than this being a coincidence. So, so to help us give just a picture of what this looks like, because, you know, you've got one and, and you've got 17 zeros behind it. And you're like, well, that's a, that's a lot. But, but Stoner came up with this illustration and he said this. He says, take 100 quadrillion silver dollars and take them and spread them out over the state of Texas. And they'd come up about two feet high all over the state of Texas, 100 quadrillion silver dollars. But you take one of these silver dollars and you paint it red and you throw it out there in the middle, somewhere in the middle in Odessa area, I guess, I don't know. And you stir it up real good. And then you take a guy and you blindfold a guy and you say, guy, I want you to go out and I want you to find the one silver dollar that's painted red amongst all of these 100 quadrillion silver dollars and he's blindfolded and he has one opportunity to get it right on the first try. You guys, prophecy is one of the keys that unlocks this absolute truth that the Bible is the true and inspired word of God. Come on, you got goosebumps yet or something or is it just me? I don't know. So, so, so what do you do? This is how likely just eight of the 332 are coincidental. Multiply this by 332 Old Testament predictions that were precisely filled, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And what do you have? You have hard evidence. You have hard proof. And again, this is not the only thing. We could talk about some other things, but this is a pretty strong argument. And if that's true, and then it happens to also prove the other two absolute truths that I mentioned earlier. How can I know for sure that God exists and he's exactly the way that the Bible describes him to be? Because the Bible is the true inspired word of God. How do I know that Jesus is the only way to God? Because the Bible is the true inspired word of God. And that's what the Bible teaches us. So what does that mean for your life? What does it impact your life? How does it impact your life that God's word truly is inspired by the Holy Spirit? How does it impact your life that God really is exactly the way that the Bible describes him to be? And what does that mean for you? That Jesus Christ is the only way to God. First, if the Bible really is the true and inspired word of God, I guess the most obvious answer would be, would be that you ought to let God's word begin shaping your thoughts your feelings, and your words, and your actions. You start developing a biblical worldview. And that means taking time to be with God's word on a daily basis. 
Listen, I'm not going to come over and spoon feed you and say, well, this is the exact plan that you need to do and read and be. Listen, if that's what you want and need, I'll be happy to help you. But we have so many resources at our fingertips to spend time with God's word every single day. And I, and I, and I want to challenge you because a lot of people say, well, just start with five minutes a day. That's, that's really great for like a first grader. But I want to challenge you as an adult, as a grown person. You can do better than five minutes a day. And I'm not here to, to, you know, use the Bible as a hammer and hammer you over the head and beat you into guilt. I'm telling you, this tells us about the nature of God, the God that created me, the God who loves me, the God who I serve, the God who I love. And I want to spend time in this discovering who God is. I want to love, love what's written here. I want to put it down inside of me. I want to memorize it. I want it to let it shape my, my thoughts and my feelings and my words and my actions. And when people say things to me, when they do things to me, I want this be the filter of the way that I react to them. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Man, do we not see that so much in the church today? The people in the church today are just, well, we just look exactly like the world. And we just do it without even thinking. And Paul tells the Roman church, he says, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. How do you fix your attention on God? Right here, every single day. Developing biblical worldview. Get the enemy. You read God's word. You think about God's word. You memorize God's word. You fall in love with God's word. And before you know it, it starts transforming you from the inside out. And it starts transforming your marriage from the inside out. And it starts transforming your children. And it starts transforming your situation at work or at school. You get it inside of you. You fall in love with it. Secondly, if it's true that God is exactly as the Bible describes him to be, that means that our view of who he is should increase. It shouldn't stay what it is today. And, and, and so how should it increase? Right here. Right here. The scripture right here, the story of God's word. And I want to say this. It's important how you come to God's word. This is a freebie. It's not my notes. It's important how you come to God's word. It's too many Christians. Want, and I heard, uh, Russell, you, you said this last week. You mentioned this last week. And we've been having conversations about this. I've been having lots of conversations about this over the last several months. Because I've seen people try to cherry pick the Bible, their favorite scriptures. And they try to get the scriptures that they find that they really like to fit their situation. To justify it is how they feel, think, say, and do. And say, well, I really like this scripture in Romans chapter 8. Well, praise the Lord. Why don't you read the entire book and get some perspective and get, get some context of what Paul's telling the Roman church and don't just cherry pick your favorite verses. We need to listen. You read, you read a little the verse of the day. That's wonderful. I love the verse of the day. I'm going to go read the chapter. 
I'm going to go. And if the chapter starts with therefore, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to read the chapter before that. I want some context. I'm not, I don't want to cherry pick. I want to know the full counsel of God's word and have it in me. Because it tells me who he is. Tells me how I'm to respond to him. You see, we, we don't just respond to God the way that we feel. We don't just respond to God the way that we feel like or the way that we see others respond to God. This gives us plenty of instruction on how to respond to the Lord and how to be in relationship with him and how to walk in obedience to him. And I'm telling you, listen, I'm not saying this. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this right here, we have a distinct advantage over many, many generations before our time that we can better worship and better know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit because of this beautiful tool that the Lord has put in the hands of the last day's church. And what's that all about? What's that for? You think maybe it's for the mission that he's called us to? Yeah, I think so. No charge for that. Absolute truth. The Bible is the true inspired word of God. Absolute truth. God exists exactly as the Bible describes him to be. Absolute truth three. Jesus is the only way to God. And if you're sitting here today and you would say that that reality is not alive in your heart. If you say, I'm not really a disciple of Jesus. I'm not really a follower of Jesus. You know, we say to our children, it was said to me as a kid growing up, you know, well, you pray and invite Jesus in your heart. Well, that's not really what the, the Bible says. The Bible says, Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You know what it means to be a disciple? It means to learn the ways of your master and then do the ways of your master. Exactly the way that your master would. So that means if you're a disciple, then you would follow your rabbi to the washroom and watch your rabbi wash his hands. And you would wash your hands exactly the rabbi, the way that your rabbi would. When it's time for dinner and the, and the rabbi picks up, you know, the food and eats, then you're going to pick up the same food that he's picking up at the exact same time. And you're going to do with it whatever he does with it. And you're going to eat it the way that he does because you are his disciple. You're learning the way of your master and you are following through with it. You're becoming just like him. So it's more than just, well, just pray this prayer and invite Jesus in your heart. No, we are called to be disciples. We are called to follow Jesus. We are called. Jesus said, even greater works you shall do than I did. Well, how's that possible? What's the greatest thing Jesus ever did? The greatest thing I can think he ever did was raise somebody from the dead and then raise himself from the dead. How are we supposed to do anything greater than that? I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm not looking to levitate, guys. That's not, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. We're going to float around the barn. It's like Harry Potter or something, you know? That's not what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about, look, you are, the, you're, you are going to be doing greater things because there are more of you. And you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit longer than I was in my three-year public ministry. So it's not, it's not about we're going to do something bigger than raising somebody from the dead or raising ourselves from the dead. 
It's going to be greater in the number of things that we get to do, in the number of things that we're going to get to partner with Jesus in. But how are we going to know what that is if this isn't inside of us, if we don't know the Lord, if we don't even know what those works are? I'm telling you, be in love with this. We're not going to work. I don't worship the Bible. The Bible helps me worship God. I'm in love with his words. Because it reveals to me his character and his nature. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the only way to God. And we've proven that because we've proven that God, that the Bible is the true and inspired word of God. And if you are far from Jesus and you don't consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, I'm telling you today, you can leave here today making that decision. You can leave today going, I want to follow Jesus. And again, it's not some... Special, magical prayer that you pray after me. Although we can do that, and that helps kickstart a decision in your life. But what happens next is, oh, okay, well, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, then i got to get in this thing and know what Jesus did. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, then i got to start walking with other people that know a lot about Jesus. And I'm going to find out how they live and what they do and what they have to say about it. I'm going to come and I'm going to gather and be part of a community and a family that's going after God. And I'm going to do greater works. I'm going to do greater works. If you want to make a decision today to be a disciple of Jesus, I want to invite you to just make that quality decision right now. All right, I'm going to do it. The Word of God says, Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul, and this is what he wrote. He said, Whoever believes in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and it confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. That's where it starts, right there. So I'm just invite you right now to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, how do you know that God raised Jesus from the dead? How do you know it wasn't a hoax? Because the Bible is the true and inspired word of God. And that's what it says right here. If you don't still believe me that the Bible is a true inspired word of God, I implore you to go find out for yourself. There's men much smarter and much more educated than I that have tried to disprove this. They've tried. They've gone on the journey and spent years and years of their life trying to disprove this absolute truth. And you know the conclusion that they come to? They come to the conclusion that this is an absolute truth. The Bible is the true and inspired word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the, such the beautiful gift of the Bible, of the scripture. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw us to yourself that we find in the word, that we find in the scriptures. God, it's not that we are elevating the Bible above you. But God, this reveals to us who you are. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to stir up a hunger on the inside of us to be in these scriptures and finding out who you are and finding out who you've created us to be and finding out our identity in you and finding out your character and nature and finding out what it means to do the greater works that you've called us to do. God, I pray that as we're walking towards you, as we're forming a biblical worldview, God, that you're building strong families through it.
you're building a strong family at my house. At mine and Jamie's home. With my kids. God, that you're doing it in the families of every single person here as part of this church. That you're doing it here in the church family. That you're doing it in the hearts of children, teenagers, Young, uh, young adults, Lord God, single people, married people, divorced people, widowed people, people that are, are going through the most difficult situations in their life. God, those of us that have had the, the greatest, greatest mountaintop victories right now, we're just on, on cloud nine right now. But God, I just pray that every single one of us, God, would fall in love with you in your word. That we would develop a biblical worldview. That you would help us build our strong families and our strong church families. We ask you to do this now. I just want to encourage all of us here right now in your heart. Just pray in your own words right now to the Lord. And say, God, I want you to do that in my heart. I want to have a hunger for your word. You know, there's a guy in scripture who came to Jesus. And he says, I want to believe. But I'm having Problems. I'm having difficulty. I'm having doubt believing. So help my unbelief. Help my doubt. And if that's where you are, that's okay. God's not offended by that. He's not repulsed by that. He's not mad at you by that. If that's where you are, say, God, I just need some help stirring up the hunger for your word. I need some help in the discipline of it. All those days that I just don't feel like it. Just tell God right now. He will answer your prayer. He'll give you those opportunities to to say yes to him. God, we say yes to your invitations. Come and do something that only you can do. God, we don't just seek your hand. We don't just seek what it is that you can do for us. We seek your face. We want to know you. When you speak, God, we want to know what your voice sounds like. And God, when the enemy speaks, we want to know that that's not your voice. When the world speaks, we want to know, well, that doesn't line up with what God says. right here of receiving from the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you his peace. Now and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and through all our lives 
and throughout all the ages. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.